Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The chair recognizes Alderman Raboyos. I'd like the clerk to read maybe half of that resolution that was by Alderman Sawyer regarding a 51-year employee, Justin Malave, who worked very closely with, and I think we can get Alderman Mel, Richard Mel, to speak on the matter before I do. Thank you, Madam President. I'm here to talk about a friend, a wonderful individual. Give you a little background, if I can. 1960, when I was in the university, John F. Kennedy came and spoke. In 1962, Paul Douglas was running for election in 68, and I was passing out information to the neighborhood. In 1972. All right, Mel. Poor Mel. Oh, Richard Mel. I know what a feeling, Richard Mel. You can't stop talking. I have that happen to me a lot. Uh oh, it's like a rock going down a hill. Oh, here comes the momentum. Can't stop. What you just heard there was audio from uh, the last uh, city council meeting. Uh, audio from Dave Glowatz. We talked with him yesterday. Go check it out. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky, wherever else you download podcast your Ben Jarofsky show for Wednesday June 9th is just moments away but before we do this we need to thank our sponsors sponsors like SEIU Healthcare Illinois Indiana the Chicago Federation of Labor are sponsors as well as the Chicago Reader chicagoreader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago where to go what to do what to eat what to drink and even what kind of pot to smoke they talk about that kind of stuff go check it out chicago reader chicagoreader.com subscribe also you can become a binhead chicagoreader.com forward slash jarofsky and the ben jarofsky show starts now it is wednesday june 9th and live from my apartment and his attic this is the ben jarofsky show Today on the program, legendary Chicago journalist Monroe Anderson returns and political strategist Jason Lee. And now your host, somewhat of a political strategist, (laughs) Chicago Raider columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Don't Come Here Wednesday. And here's why. Hear that sound? Boom. That's a sound of my social media blowing up over Kamala's comments to Kamala Guatemalans as in she goes to Guatemala and tells Guatemalans, don't come here. Unless, of course, you have clout to get here legally. Otherwise, we'll take your car and throw you back, as Mayor Lori Lightfoot might put it. I could just hear you now, folks. Uh, ben, uh, Vice President Harris made those comments two days ago. Hello, where have you been? AOC commented on that like 24 hours ago. Lefties have moved on. It's Wednesday, and that is just so Monday. In my defense, I have what we call baby boomer Twitter. 
It takes its time getting there. Millennials and even Gen X have Twitter as more like a rocket. Instantaneous. You got to think of baby boomer Twitter more like a horse. Not a racing horse, but like an old broken down mule. The sound it makes is more like da-dum, 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 I probably wouldn't known about Kamala's comments at all had it not been for the fact that there are four, count of four millennials staying in my house at this very moment. They asked me about it at breakfast. The conversation went a little like this. Millennial, what do you think about Kamala's comment? Me, what comment? Millennial, hello. (laughs) I just love that hello thing. Anyway. I won't just turn the car around. (laughs) I'm going to shut it off. I'm going to kick you out and I'm going to make you walk home. Yes. Lori Lightfoot. Can you imagine if Lori Lightfoot was guarding the borders? That's what you would say to all people trying to get in. I will take your, make you walk. Anyway, where was I? Oh, yes. What do I think about it? I'll tell you what I think about it. This is the same old demi-dem Democrat BS about moving to the right to appease MAGA, as though MAGA in a million years will ever be appeased by you. This is like Senator Joe Manchin saying he's not voting for the Voting Rights Act because he can't find any Republicans to support it, and he doesn't want to be partisan. He wants to be bipartisan. Hello, Joe Manchin. The reason Republicans won't support this bill that's intended to eradicate voter suppression is that if they don't have voter suppression, they can't win. It's not like he could find a compromise position on this thing. In the case of Kamala Harris, she wants to show how tough she is on the border, cracking down on illegal immigrants, going to show the world she's as tough as Republicans. Demi Dems are always trying to show that they're as tough as Republicans. That's what got us the war on drugs, three strikes you're out, super predators, anti-union charter schools, cracking down on pension payments, lock them up, the war in Vietnam, if you want to go back that far, and so on and so forth. Dem Dem Dems, when will you ever learn? You will never, ever get any MAGA votes by trying to be tough. They don't believe you're tough, number one. And number two, they'll be calling you weak on things like immigration is the only way they can rally their voters to come out and vote, which, when combined with voter suppression, is the only way they can win. So try, stop trying to out-Republican the Republicans. Wait. Confession time. In the capacity of full disclosure, I must admit that I have a conflict of interest on this matter the matter of immigration. I am the descendant of immigrants and not the good kind of immigrants in quotes that Kamala was talking about. You know, the ones with the connections to skip to the head of the line, like think Melania Trump. No dead, broke, barely illiterate immigrants who didn't get higher than a third grade education and made their living working in factories. That's the kind of immigrants that nobody wants because they don't look American in quotes and they speak a different language and they have a funny accent when they try to speak English. Those kinds of immigrants the kind that Kamala says, don't come here. We are so weird. We are a country of immigrants, and yet we always say, don't come here. Unless you're glamorous and rich and your mom's good looking. That kind of immigrant. So we slam the door on immigration. And then we complain that there are no immigrants to work in the kitchens. I just was reading this story in the Tribune the other day about restaurant owners complaining they can't find good help. Republicans are saying, we're going to take away your unemployment benefits to make sure you go get those jobs in the kitchen. They used to be filled by immigrants who are not coming here and cause the official policy of Democrats and Republicans apparently is don't come here. As Kamala put it, Dems, this will not win you one election because no matter how far you drift to the right to appease MAGA, MAGA will still call you a radical leftist Marxist, Black Lives Matter loving thug. 
You think you're being smart, but in reality, you're not that smart. Even an old baby boomer with a mule Twitter feed can tell you that. We got a great show today, everybody. Not a dumb person in this house. The legendary Monroe Anderson is here. I'm looking at him right now. He's rested and ready. And I know he disagreed with like 90% of what I just, I could see it in his face. I can read his mind after all the, he's like, oh my God, this lefty Bernie Sanders. <laughs> he can't wait to give me grief. And then in about a half an hour, we're going to be joined by uh, Jason Lee, a great political strategist who is down in Texas right now. Uh, working to pal, oh my God, he's right in the middle of the battle going on in Texas over voter suppression, where if you follow this, folks, I know you are, because if you listen to this show, you're a political junkie. The Democrats walked out of the state house uh, to keep the Republicans from passing a bill that would be just uh, very onerous in terms of uh, keeping people from voting, deterring people from voting. When I say people, I mean black people, let's be honest. I think Monroe Anderson will agree with me on that. Uh, and uh, the Dems blocked passage of that bill by walking out collectively. All the, the senators and the assemblymen walked out. Uh, but Gregory Abbott, the governor of Texas, has promised uh, to reconvene the uh, legislature and pass it. So Jason's down there. Uh, he's in the heart of it all. He's going to give us some updates. He's going to talk about what the issues are. And we'll maybe do a little Kamala talk with him as well, get his thoughts so uh, all that and uh, much, much more. We're going to take a little break, and then Monroe Anderson's going to come on and just tell me how wrong I am. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky show live from his attic. Michael Girardi, the ballad of the uh, indicted alderman. I fell in love with the old way things were done until the FBI took my love away. Well put, well put. It's happening all the time. Front page of the Chicago Tribune talks about Alderman Danny Solis, the 25th Ward, perhaps <laughs> taping uh, House Speaker Michael Madigan. The saga never ends. Anyway. We're going to move on from Chicago politics with Monroe Anderson, who's sitting by arrested and ready to go. Plenty of political talk with Monroe. But uh, Monroe, I had a feeling when I was uh, giving my opening remarks about how uh, Kamala was playing that typical Demi-Dem game where they try to move to the right to appease Republicans who will never, ever be appeased. So I don't understand why they even play the game, that you were completely disagreeing with me because you live in the world of practicality, pragmatism, and reality. And I live in lefty land, which is inhabited by people who love Bernie Sanders. So if you do disagree with me, here's your moment to state your position. Go ahead. Okay. I, I, I think you've slipped into Trump Twitter world. Because <laughs> that that, 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 there, there were a whole bunch of nuances and histories and other things that you just sort of glided over. <laughs> okay. First of all, we have a major, major problem on the border. I mean, we have we, we have more people. We, have, we we don't have enough. There's not enough room at the end, even for the people who are trying to come here. And the reason they're trying to come here is because uh, 50, 60, 70 years ago, the U.S., um, they had a, a very 
they had a very developed, young developed democracy. And the U.S. arranged for the president of this new democracy to be replaced, replaced as we were wont to do. And as a result, um, they've had these one dictator after the next uh, with United Health, I think it was United um, Fruit. Uh, yeah, the United, United Fruit was running the place. And they finally had a revolution to overthrow it but it didn't work so well. So you got gangs running things and they're kidnapping and killing people willy nilly. So it's the people, these, this, this record number of people who are now on our border's edge are comparable to someone in a, a, a house that's on fire. And so either you jump out of a three-story window to save your life or you stay there and burn. So these people are, are choosing to jump out the window. It's a long and dangerous trek, but there's so many right now that we, we don't know how to process and what to do with them. And th- so this is why Kamala was saying don't come because no, I, we can't handle it. It wasn't because of, of MAGA <laughs> and trying, uh, trying to, to, um, to appease MAGA. In fact, with the exception of um, cinema and mansion, the Dems are out of the Please Maga uh, <laughs> right now. They're doing they're doing just the opposite of that. All right, you had your say on it. I had my say. We'll move on. Uh, just we we'll agree to disagree on uh, immigrant po- uh, policy for the moment. Uh, we'll come back to it. Uh, I, and I will resist the temptation, and this is a strong urge and temptation that I'm resisting to do a counter. But when you say you're going to allow your guests to have the last word on something, that literally means you allow your guests to have the last word, and you don't sneak in. You know, there were some talk show hosts who would do that. They would sneak in the last word. They go, we got to go to a break. And then the guests would be like, but, but. Anyway, I'm not going to do that. All right, let's uh, let's move on to Trump news of the day. We'll probably come back when Jason Lee comes on uh, to talk about Kamala's comments and the impact they're having in Texas, which yeah. I think Monroe will agree with me. That's like that that is uh, ground zero, if you will, in quotes of the, this issue, the immigration issue being played out politically. Uh, so be curious well, to see what Jason. Florida. Maybe Florida. Florida, yeah, you know, Florida. All right, uh, so. Uh, Trump had pants on backwards gate. Uh, just let's take a moment to laugh at Trump. Uh, always fun to laugh at Donald Trump and how weird he is. And it's, I believe his pants were on backwards uh, on Saturday. People go, oh, Ben, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, well, uh, you know, it's sometimes it's good just to laugh at Trump, just to get the get it out of you. And it also just I just want to point out how bizarre, on top of everything else, uh, where MAGA is right now, to a certain degree, Monroe, where they're dedicated to political beliefs that are so bizarre and twisted. I think I saw this like 15 percent of Republicans believe uh, in QAnon. Something like, it's some astounding high yes, percentage it's higher than that uh, among Republicans. You're right. It is higher. Yes. I think it's 15 percent across the board. Right. Uh, it, it, on, on top of that, the man they love is clearly out to lunch. And if you watch that speech on Saturday, and I did watch a good chunk of it, he is 
has gone around the, the deep end, as they say. And, uh, and yet he's the man they swear allegiance to. So that's why it's kind of funny just to point out, well, you know, the guy's really weird and maybe demented and he's wearing his pants backwards, but I, by the way, and then they go like that's this. Me. Well, that's, that's been debunked, but <laughs> wait, when does that ever stop Trump from saying yeah. something? Yeah, you know? right. Wasn't so he, had, he had his yeah. pants on right, but his head is backwards. That's <laughs> <a problem>. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the problem for him is he's looking backwards. You know, he 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 wants to uh, re relitigate the, uh, the the last the last election, presidential election. He's very dishonestly and foolishly claiming that he won, outlandishly, and um, in the meantime, um, Americans are just not into Trump that much anymore. His his approval records have dropped by thirty some points. Um, they're tired of them. They're not interested in it, except for the Republican leadership, which is amazing to me. I mean, and of course, Trump ha- has this hardcore following of um, what I've been calling for several years now, the Trump nuts. Um, he has the Trump nuts, but these people are dumber than a pit rock. I mean, they are just, you know, and, and the thing is, they don't, they, they, they watch Fox, and Fox is lying to them or just omitting things. Like, for example, um, you have one um, Republican, Washington Republican, saying that um, the Jan- uh, January 6th uh, riot was uh, not, a, not bad at all. It's very peaceful. And the way he could make that statement is is in covering the insurrection of January sixth. Fox cut out all the violence; they didn't air it. And so, if you were watching Fox, it it did look basically like a peaceful protest. And, and it's, it's it's amazing how um, these people are ignorant, and Fox keeps them being ignorant. Yeah. In fact, I think be, besides Trump, the two major villains. In America right now, Mitch McConnell and um, Rupert Murdoch. Go into that a little bit. Why? What are they? Uh, in each, in your opinion, what are what are each guilty of that makes them uh, up there in Trump country? Murdoch, um, through Fox and um, the. Um, uh, yeah, Fox mainly. Okay, through Fox has perpetuated uh, all these lies. He's, he's he's basically been a a propaganda organ. You know, there's RT. Have you you you're familiar with RT? Right? Yeah, RT Russia Today. Yeah, exactly. Well, Fox is comparable. RT. I mean, they just put out right wing propaganda. They, they, their, their um, opinion people continue all these crazy right wing thoughts and, and they lie about it day in and day out. Their news operation, they, they've gotten to a point, it used to be a decent news operation. 
but uh, the, the the real reporters there have sort of been put on notice. Um, either follow along or get out. Uh, because this is how, in, in fact, um, after this, the suit, the million dollar lawsuit they, they got over, over the voting equipment, Fox tried to pull back a little bit. And um, Newsmax started up, and, and there's some other right wing um, organization. But uh, all, all the Trump nuts started shifting from Fox over there. So now Fox has gone back to being Trump nut crazy to get their people back. Well, the. Uh, and then and, and McConnell speaks for himself. Yeah. You know, he's. Uh, yeah, McConnell's really uh, walking that fine line with Trump because uh, he he's smart enough to realize that uh, it's probably not in the long term best interest of the Republican Party to be tied to Trump. Uh, and yet he realizes that they are tied to Trump. Right. Uh, so he oh, he, uh, hates he hates Trump because Trump lost him his job. I mean, the only thing uh, Mitch wanted to be was speaker, uh, uh, leader of the Senate, and he's he because because of Georgia and Trump lying and tell, basically telling um, right wing Georgians don't bother to vote because of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <They> said, <"Okay." laughs> and so he lost control of of, of the Senate, uh, and of course. We, they, they, Trump lost the House and he lost the uh, the Senate also. Yeah. The White House. They lost the White House. He's the only, I, I think I've said this before, but Trump is the only president since, um, um, God, no, um, Herbert Hoover to lose all three in one yeah. election. Well, they could, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a little nervous. I feel they can win him back. Obviously not the White House, uh, but they could win back the Senate and the House. We're talking again to Jason Lee about this in Texas, and that's what the voter suppression laws are all about. So it's really yeah. important uh, yeah. for the Dems uh, to pass federal uh, voter rights laws. And let me just point out the, the utter hypocrisy of the Republican Party. I just wrote a column about this, Monroe. When it comes to the state of Illinois, in which the map making process is controlled by Democrats. Republicans are quote unquote on the front lines calling for fair and equitable map making and right. uh, having uh, nonpartisan commissions draw the maps. Right. Okay. And then they do, they do this in Illinois pretending as though this nationwide fight isn't going on and the Republican party is opposed to it. So on one hand, they're for fair maps in Illinois when it means uh, taking power away from Democrats and they're against fair maps federally because that means taking power away from Republicans and right. state after state. Right. So they, the, I have, they, Republicans have no shame, none. I mean, it's just, uh, and no principles, no, they don't, they, they, they don't have a, 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 a agenda except anti-demographic, it's, it's, it's all negative. And the, the good thing is the Democrats this time have, have brought a gun to a gun, to a, to a, uh, a gunfight. 
they left the switchblade at home. <laughs> or maybe it's in a pocket somewhere. I hope they have. I hope they have. I hope they've left. Well, for instance, in the state of Illinois, J.B. Pritzker, to his credit, yeah, just signed the bill. And the Republicans are yelling and screaming, oh, he broke his promise. And JB's right. like, I don't really care. Right. <laughs> yeah, I guess I did. Right. I'm, I'm rich and I'm not even sure if I want to do this job again. I, I do whatever. I got enough money where I can do whatever I want, whenever I want. <laughs> By the way, that 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 uh, we haven't really talked about that that uh, J.B. Pritzker's comment last week in an interview that he hadn't officially made up his mind to run for re-election. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and that folks are like what? Because it's just an an assumption that once in office or a politician will do whatever he or she has to do to right. stay in office. Right. And it's shocking when one. Voluntarily steps down. Well, I've had enough of that. You know, I'm leaving. Yeah, right. I've been there, done that. In fact, I can't think of anyone. No, no. In my entire life, who voluntarily walked away after one term, I can't. There must have been one, but definitely not in in Chicago politics. No. uh, Every um, yeah. You know, uh, uh, every um. I just got a text from my next guest, Jason Me uh, Lee. He is uh, trying to get on the show, so he wants that invite. Um, but uh, yeah, I um, I can't think of one who voluntarily walked away. I I, I, I don't believe JB Prisker will do it. I, I don't know where that comment came from. Uh, maybe he's getting grief from his family about you know. Oh, he probably is because they they don't need him to be governor. Uh, yeah. Well, he is probably getting some grief, but. Uh, but on the other side of that, by s- saying, um, throw me into that briar patch, the reverse of that, it's messing with the Republicans because uh, they could say all kinds of angry things uh, about him and talk about how hypocritical he is, how this or that. And he's going, well, maybe I'm going to do this, maybe I'm not. And so it doesn't have the, the punch that if they knew that he was going to be the guy that he really wanted to do it, they would have with him saying, well, you know, I, I'm just trying to do what's best for Illinois. Yeah. <laughs> I go home. I sit on the sidelines and watch somebody else to finish it off. But I, I, I'm with you. I uh, love the fact that uh, he's enough in the real world that he didn't stick with that promise uh, because it makes no sense for Democrats to promise to bring in Republicans on map making when Republicans clearly blatantly are keeping Democrats out of map making right. and fighting any attempt uh, or, uh, in addition uh, to make a federal fair map making process. And so it's just like this, this. Bizarre- well, and the, the other thing that we have to factor in is JB and our, our, our mayor are not real politicians. They're neophytes. And so it's one thing when you're on the outside Looking at where you, you might think you want to do something, but then when you get in there where where the sausage is made, and she go, "Whoa, I can't do that." Well, since you mentioned that that they are neophytes, uh, Jason Lee has joined us. We'll bring him on in a little bit. Always happy when my guests show up. Uh, but since you mentioned uh, the, that uh, Pritzker and Lightfoot are neophytes, let me just follow up a little bit. Don't you think Monroe Anderson, this guy who lived in the city of Chicago for 
for a long time, worked yeah. for Mayor Sawyer, so you know politics in Chicago. Don't you think that Lori Lightfoot has shown certain uh, instincts of a Chicago mayor, like that counterpunch and her trashing of anybody who dares to disagree with her is so Chicago mayor. I mean, for someone who's a neophyte, yeah, go ahead. I think that's her personality. I, I, I think that's her personality. If you remember when you had her on your show at the hideout, yeah. <laughs> and people were questioning her. Yeah. Her, 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 her reflex is to challenge them, to challenge the choice of words or the attitude. But she just she goes and she goes for the jugular quickly. I mean, she has a pussy foot around. No, she she had one today. I I didn't even. This wasn't even our list of things to talk about. But uh, so she's talking about crime in Chicago. And this is she was taking a page from uh, Rom. Rom tried this, didn't work with Rom. He backed off on it, but saying you know. Ultimately, families have to be responsible uh, for the behavior of their children. And it can't just be uh, the city and the, uh, the police, et cetera, and so forth. I'm talking about the murders in the city of Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that's a very Chicago. Well, I, I'm just thinking in terms of, that's a very Chicago thing to yeah. say as though I'm just speaking truth. And I'm not I'm not afraid to say it as it is. And it also has the uh, it serves the purpose of sort of guarding her, if you will, from criticism about her inability uh, to do anything about murders and crime. So that's very, it's an instinctive thing that she has. To, go ahead. Monroe. Right. Right. And, you know, and, 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 and the truth of the matter is with the shootings, it's just, I mean, we're just in a terrible time. It's across the nation. The pandemic blew a lot of people's minds, literally, you know, there are more people depressed and crazy and what have you. And there hasn't been any future for a while. And so um, Lee Allen Jones is a friend of mine. I don't know if you know Lee yeah. Allen. Yeah, the Green, Lee Green Allen. Party candidate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. But a, a year ago, I was talking to him, and he was telling me how he was reluctant to drive at night on the south side now because there was, a, there was this lawlessness where people were running stoplights. Uh, stop and things he 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 said he he was he didn't feel comfortable in his own neighborhood and that that was a new experience for him yeah by the way that's uh she sounds like mark mark simpson says that when he comes on the show says that every single time always makes fun of me because i go for walks in my neighborhood he goes benny i can't go for walks in my neighborhood which by the way mark simpson i don't believe I know where he lives. I think it's a nice neighborhood. He's just lazy. He doesn't want to leave the house and go for a walk. That's just my thought about Mark. So he's blaming on everyone else. I know Mark's listening right now. So that was for you, Mark Sims. All right. We're going to bring on uh, Jason Lee and Monroe's going to stick around. Uh, Two old baby booners uh, are going to grill this young man. A political strategist, frequent guest on the Ben Jarofsky show, good friend of the Ben Jarofsky show. We and we, Monroe, we we dispatched Jason to Texas to give us a report uh, on what's going down in Texas. Uh, every Chicago podcast needs a Texas-based correspondent, uh, so Jason Lee uh, is in Texas. And uh, Jason, welcome back to the show. Appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Ben. Uh, nice to nice to uh, meet you, Monroe, and um, yeah, pleasure to be here. All right. Uh, I was teasing that we dispatched you to Texas. We had nothing to do with you being in Texas. Uh, as longtime listeners of the show know, Jason is from Texas. Uh, before we get into ask you a question about what's going on in Texas, uh, explain to folks what you're doing down there and your ties to the state. So I'm 
born and raised in Houston. Um, and I actually spent, you know, most of my formative, uh, my professional career before I got involved in politics, I was also in Houston as an adult. Um, I worked in the finance industry uh, and then I kind of had a mid mid career switch and did something completely different. And all of that political organizing work happened outside of Texas. So in places like Illinois um, and uh, Ohio and Delaware and uh, Nevada and a, a bunch of other places around the country. Uh, but I always, you know, kept one foot in one ear to the ground of what was going on, uh, in, in my state. And over the last couple of years, I've decided to get more involved, um, you know, and, and do more work in my home state and advise, you know, candidates and different organizations. Uh, so I've been doing that over the last couple of years. And, and recently right now, uh, I'm advising a, a coalition of folks who are, you know, actively involved in trying to defeat, the uh, voter suppression legislation that has been pursued in our state capital in Austin. So working with, you know, national organizations that folks have heard of like fair fight, black voters matter and the local organizations and the state legislative members and, you know, local congressional members. So it's been really interesting to kind of dive deeper into what's going on uh, and try to, you know, figure out a way to, to combat some of this stuff. It's, it's been real ugly. Um, you know, when we get into it more, but the Republican party in Texas historically has been, you know, it was the Bush Republican party. Uh, and that's a different Republican party than the Trump Republican party. And in Texas, there was actually a kind of comedy and bipartisanship going on, uh, beneath the surface, you know, because our Democrats aren't super liberals either. So there was a, a comedy there. And since, you know, 2017, uh, after Trump got in, the, the, the party has moved, the Republican party has moved in a different direction. And a lot of the Democrats here are a little bit surprised and, and caught off guard by the extremity of what they're trying to do, not just on voting, but on other issues as well. Um, and I'm like, well, this is how it works, you know, where, you know, like in Illinois, it's like, it's part, you know, it's like, if you have the power, you destroy your opponent. They don't breathe. They don't get anything. They don't move anything. And like, you know, to me, that was just, of course, you got to be prepared for that. Why would they, why would someone why would the party in power give you anything, you know, but apparently that's how it had actually been working in Texas. Like there were, you know, you could be a Democrat and still be a committee chair. You could be a Democrat and still be speaker pro tem in the house. Like they were actually sharing some power. And, and, and so they're a little bit shocked at how far they've moved. Wow. That's a wake up call, by the way, just to, uh, before we get into the specifics of the voter suppression uh, law that Texas is trying to pass, you mentioned the Bush family and the old style politics. I think yeah. nothing really symbolizes uh, the drift right of the Republican party in Texas than the current uh, Bush uh, politicians. I think it's George P. Bush, who's son of yeah. Jeb Bush, uh, who wants to make a career for himself statewide in Texas and has moved yeah. so far. He's joined with the Trump. And the Trumps, all they do is denigrate and bash Bushes. And this kid is is yeah. trying so hard to appease Maga. Yeah, and he's a brown one, right? Yeah, he is. Uh, his yeah. mom is right. of Mexican descent. Right. I mean, there's, right. a, there's a couple <laughs> about George P. Right? So one, on one hand, George P. is kind of... I don't know. He's, he, he's kind of like his uncle was when he was young. He's kind of like a like a frat guy, like he's kind of like, like not a serious guy. Like he, like, I don't know, people, you know, used to say his dad was kind of, you know, Jeb was kind of smart or whatever. No one really says that about George P. Um, 
But the other problem and, and, and the other thing about for George P though, is I'm imagining that he's telling his dad and his uncle and whoever else like, well, look, you know, you guys destroyed our legacy, right? George W. Bush left white house as most unpopular president, even more unpopular than Trump. Right. And, and was catastrophic. And then Jeb ends up running one of the worst presidential campaigns, most embarrassing in history. So they really don't have anything to say to him because either he figures out a way to survive in the current climate or the Bush name is dead in, in American politics. So, you know, I kind of get it and I get why they're not going to say anything against him because they basically left him no choice. If they hadn't failed so miserably, you know, he may not have to do this. Yeah, but he's going down the wrong trail. Uh, the, Trump, the, the, the Trump brand is not going to be worth anything within a year or two. So okay. he, 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 maybe he should have uh, set this one out, just waited a little while. Yeah, I mean, that may be true, but from where I sit, if, if the Trump brand is going to fade out, that event that makes it fade out, I don't see it right now because from my vantage point, the Trump brand is as strong as any post-presidency brand has ever been. It's more influential oh. than any post-presidency brand. I mean, I'm down here in Texas and – Trump animates basically every single thing they do here. Yeah, you know, yeah, I know, I know that, but but that's 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 that will be short lived. Uh, first of all, tr- Trump is going to be so entangled up in court uh, with, within months that he's not going to he, he's not going to have time, and plus he's already losing his his uh, appeal, except uh, um, in that circle in his bubble, of course. And, and there is really popular. And then in Washington, where uh, the politicians are afraid to go against him because he's so popular among Republicans. Yeah. But he's let's, let's talk about a little bit about uh, how strong and prevalent the Trump brand is in Texas right now, uh, to follow up on the point you were making. Uh, and uh, I'd like to make the obvious observation that Trump won Texas in the 2020 presidential election, uh, fairly decisively, Jason was on the show before the election. We were talking about, would this be the year Texas finally went blue? And the answer is no, it wasn't the year. The demographic change haven't fully kicked in. Uh, So even though Republicans won the state, the the motivation uh, behind this voter suppression bill or their supposed belief, the reason they say they need it is that there was fraud in the last election, which is kind of bizarre accusation for somebody who won to make. Uh, So uh, with that as a backdrop, explain to people what exactly uh, this bill would do if it were passed in the law. Yeah, this bill is just kind of like a smorgasbord of, of things. Um, It's kind of a complicated bill. There are issues around like empowering poll watchers to come and observe people voting at the polls, which could be a form of voter intimidation. There are some restrictions on, you know, absentee balloting and, you know, the way in which, um, you know, registrars or election officials can like, you know, to give people absentee ballots. There were some issues around, you know, your, like the, the hurdles you would have to clear in order to qualify for an absentee ballot. Uh, you need certain like, um, you know, you just have to get certain authorizations and prove certain things. Whereas before you could just get the absentee, but now you might have to prove that you actually can't vote on the, you know, for whatever reason. Um, 
I think, I don't know if I just said, but yeah, there were certain formulas that, that were going to change the way polling locations were allocated and, and the actual impact would be certain uh, dense urban areas would lose polling locations, which would, you know, maybe restrict access. Um, there was something about restricting voting hours on Sunday, which people thought was discriminatory because there's a, you know, an African-American tradition. There's a, there's a tradition of, of souls to the polls. Um, there, I think most ominously, there was something in there that would make it easier for election judges to potentially challenge or overturn an election. Um, you know, like the, the you know, the, 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 the or, or the suggestion of certain fraudulent activities could lead to a scenario where an election might be overturned without concrete evidence. And it, I think it gave more power, um, to the state legislature over local jurisdictions and, and ratifying elections. Um, so I think the thing to keep in mind, oh, and also like in Harris County, which is the where I'm at Houston, which is the big vote democratic vote area in Texas, there had been a number of reforms to expand voting access, 24 hour voting, drive through voting. These things have been in kind of response to the pandemic, but proved pretty popular. And so there was a goal of, you know, being able to keep doing these things to make it easier to vote. And those things were eliminated in this, in this proposed legislation. Hmm. And uh, so what uh, was the Democratic response? Uh, what did the Democrats do uh, to I mean, try to? The response was pretty robust uh, and expansive. You know, first of all, this like there were first of all, this legislation session was a nightmare. Right. For, for on a host of issues. Right. So most of the time, you know, the same kind of progressive organizations that are fighting one issue are fighting the other issue. So people were already concerned, but they had like a bunch of stuff to fight, right? It wasn't just voting that they had to fight. Uh, and luckily, you know, or not luckily, but the, because of the fight in Georgia, we had some national organizations and even some Atlanta based, some Georgia based organizations that had just come off of a fight and had some intelligence and had some strategic, um, guidance. And they immediately rushed into Texas to try to help. And then there was some folks on the ground in Texas you know, organizations, clergy, some elected officials, some other people who were really um, passionate and wanted to do something in response. And there had already been a, a small cohort of people working in the last election when, when, when Republicans were challenging and filing these lawsuits. There had kind of been some organization there. And so basically, uh, we kind of brought all these kind of various folks into kind of conversation and started pursuing a number of things. You know, one, there was the kind of the inside lobbying game. Uh, you know, there were, there were, there were legal people who were doing good analyses of the bill. Uh, there were folks focused on a corporate accountability strategy to get some of the major corporations in the state to weigh in. Um, you know, and that had a little bit of success, um, you know, and doing that, uh, they were going after local chambers of commerce or protesting some of the larger corporations, all of this, even more so than moving the corporations to really act because, you know, some of them put out statements, but they didn't really act, but it did keep the story in the news a lot, right? Which then galvanized, you know, public opinion and let Republicans know that, hey, the light is on you. And some of the Republicans, you know, the, the party is Trumpified, but there still was some Republicans who are still more traditional Republicans. They're in more moderate districts. They, they're, they're corporate, you know, golf country club guys. And they don't like to be called racist. They don't like to have, you know, all these different recriminations going back at them. So, so it did have some effect in slowing the process down because they were nervous about doing the most extreme bill. And the folks in the Senate, uh, Dan Patrick, who's the Lieutenant governor who controls the Senate, he's a big Trump guy. So he was always like, I got to do the most extreme thing, but that 
hesitancy of some Republicans in the House to do the extreme thing versus Patrick's insistence on doing the extreme thing slowed down the process. And by slowing down the process, um, you got to a point where it allowed for the Democrats in the legislature who would, you know, who, who we were also trying to steal them, you know, make sure they knew that hey, you guys got to fight. We know there's a bunch of stuff, but you can't lay down on this one. It's too symbolic. It's too important. You got to fight. And so they kind of, they had that motivation because the grassroots and, and, and was pushing them. And so by slowing the process down and they did good job too, right? Because they helped slow it down by using all their legislative tricks, right? By filing amendments and points of order and any kind of trick you could do to slow down the process. And by slowing down the process, you, you, you ended up in a shot clock situation, right? Where they had to get the thing passed and they were running out of shot clock. And that's when, the, the, the quorum break when the legislators actually left the, the, the house um, and, and broke the quorum. That's why it was able to work. Right. Because if there had been a week left, you couldn't have done the quorum break. Right. It would have been too much time to hide, but because there was literally like 90 minutes left, <laughs> it was just enough time for them to say, look, we can escape for 90 minutes and run out the clock. Now that was of course a temporary victory because the governor can still call a special session. But when you're faced against the, the, the odds of the, the overwhelming Republican majorities in the House and the Senate and a Republican governor who made this his issue number one, he said this was emergency issue number one. All you can do is try to buy yourself time. Right. And hope that, you know, something else can go wrong and hope that maybe this kind of fight that folks saw in Texas can spur the Senate Democrats um, to, to, to or maybe even the president himself. Um, to put enough pressure on Joe Manchin to get something done federally to mitigate the impact of the state legislation. Wow. And now you've come to Joe Manchin. We'll, uh, that's a topic that Monroe and I are uh, ready to uh, delve into. Uh, but before we get to Joe Manchin, what's uh, on the ground in Texas? So if the governor is going to call a, a special session and the Democrats don't show up for that, what's the impact? Yeah, so this has been tried before. The problem is that that there's going to be two special sessions. There was one special session that was already on the books on redistricting. And redistricting is another nightmare uh, because the Republicans control the legislature and, and they can redistrict the congressional stuff and the statehouse stuff and, and, and put us even further behind uh, on, on, on having uh, power in Texas. So that historically has been the special session where folks have actually tried to leave. Um, but it's not as simple, right? Um, because there was only 90 minutes, they were able to just break the quorum and go to like a church down the street and do a press conference. The governor and the speaker of the house actually have the power to, uh, to, to, to arrest them and bring them back into the legislature. So if you're trying to do it for more than 90 minutes, you have to, you can't just leave the building. You have to leave the state, right? Where they, where they, where they, where they don't have jurisdiction. And so they, when they did it before, uh, one, the Senate people went to, I think, Oklahoma, the house people went to New Mexico and they hid, um, uh, for like 30 days. So it's like a really serious thing. Um, and you know, there's only, you know, there's only so long folks can, can do that. And, and for all kinds of reasons. And so, um, because people have been through that experience before and because there's a, this is a, they may have to look at possibly doing that for the redistricting fight. Um, you know, uh, it's hard for me to imagine that that's number one on people's minds for this particular special. I think folks are like, look, we're going to do everything we can legislatively. 
But, uh, you know, we're going to need some luck and some help uh, if we're going to stop this thing uh, in the special. And we may and, and that may include federal action. One of uh, the uh, sort of debates that Monroe and I have, and I'll, I'll, if I'm going to butcher Monroe's position on this, I'll allow him the, uh, the freedom to speak up and correct me. Uh, but Monroe's uh, position, Monroe, I think I'm getting this right, is that uh, Trumpism is wearing off on the edges. And that, yes, MAGA, the diehards, are as diehard as ever. And as Jason points out, they pretty much control the Republican Party in Texas. But on the fringes, Trump's losing the game. And uh, so this extreme positioning of uh, MAGA on matters like voter suppression laws is hurting uh, the Republicans. And you'll see that impact uh, come uh, the midterm elections in 2022 and in Senate races and congressional races in both. Monroe, am I Monroe doing a good yeah. job of summarizing? Yeah. That, yeah. Except yeah. It, it's not the fringes. It's, it's, it's the fringes of the MAGA movement, but it's, but the independents are solidly against all this stuff already. And uh, the, the Republican party has lost, uh, a lot of membership, not enough, but a lot. So given that, uh, Jason, is there any sign in Texas that, uh, all this, um, voter suppression efforts by the Republicans, again, coming after an election that they won, uh, is potentially hurting them in the upcoming, uh, midterms? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, part of, Honestly, like initially when we were like doing this fight against this voter suppression law, you know, there are a number of us who thought really, really what we're doing is trying to raise attention on this, keep this in the news, keep this in the press to basically educate voters for the 2022 midterms, because originally we thought there was no chance of of stopping it substantively. Um, And so it was really like the fight was more so about voter education based on the theory that, yeah, there are many voters, including some moderate independent voters who, who would not like this and, 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 and so would be less inclined to support the Republican party moving forward. Um, I don't, you know, it's hard to know, to be honest, cause I, we don't have a lot of polling on, you know, that there have been um, some local elections going on that have been a mixed bag uh, in terms of, of terms of that, um, you know, I think Republicans have got a couple big wins on some local elections. Like they got a big win in, in, a, in, a, in a race down in the Valley, um, uh, which people were upset about. They got a big win in Fort Worth, which is one of the larger cities in, in Texas. Um, you know, but there was also some progressive people who picked up some wins, um, you know, who were for a little bit even further to the left than the, the standard Democrat Texas. So you're seeing um, like different, different things electorally. You know, the polling, we, we, you know, one of the weaknesses that we didn't spend money on polling in the state, we had, there was some public polling, there was some other polling that suggested that these voting suppression things were, were kind of, were not popular per se. Um, but we also know that there were, there, there, there was a significant base of voters that wanted the Republicans to pursue this. And as the clock was starting to wind down, they actually, there was actually a grassroots you know, mobilization against the Republicans saying, Hey, you guys better freaking do this. So, you know, I think it'll be really interesting to see what happens because again, elections are about so many different things that it's hard to like tease out 
one particular issue. Like people may not like this voting thing and still vote Republicans because, you know, it's a midterm election and Biden's in office and they want to check the national Democrats where they just think, well, Republicans will just be better on taxes. You know, so it's like, I don't think, I, I think that Republicans and particularly the governor wants to make sure that he doesn't see any attrition from the Trump base. Um, you know, he was facing a potential primary from the right. And that I think was his primary concern right now. Um, and I think that they'll worry. He feels like he'll worry about the general when he gets to the general and that Republican, you know, Texas is Republican enough that, that he'll be able to survive when you combine that and his money and the fact that it's a midterm. Okay. Uh, before we move to mansion, I got to ask you about the, the democratic response and Monroe, I'd love to get your thoughts on this as well. The last time uh, Jason was on the show talking about voter uh, suppression, we were talking about it uh, in terms of Georgia. And we were having a conversation about the attempts by Republicans to do exactly what they're doing in Texas. Uh, and uh, Jason made the point that would Republicans aren't anticipating or maybe don't care about or think about is that their efforts to change election law to more or less guarantee their victory uh, are riling up Democrats. And so it's a different Democratic Party than it was in 2010 uh, in the Obama age where Dems just rolled over and allowed the Republicans to walk all over them uh, in the name of bipartisanship. Uh, and, uh, so I'll ask each of you whether you think that we, that we're, this is a significant break from that old strategy of the, uh, Obama administration and that in fact, the Democrats can benefit in some ways by, uh, this Republican backlash by being vigilant and organizing, et cetera. We'll start with you Monroe and then go to Jason. Oh yeah. No, I, I, I think that, um, we're going to be surprised next year at, at, the, at the amount of victory that the Democrats experienced as a backlash to the backlash. Uh, I mean, we're, after, after the George Floyd situation, there has been a, 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 a tidal wave of change, I think, in this country. Um, not as much as I'd like to see, but um, a lot. And I, I, I think that the, the Republicans are replaying what they did uh, in, in 2016. And it worked. They got lucky and it worked for them then. But it didn't work in 2018. It didn't work in 2020. And it's not going to work in 2022. Jason, your thoughts. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I definitely think that there could be, um, I think there definitely could be, um, a backlash to the backlash. Uh, and there, you know, and there are going to be uh, lots of efforts, uh, to, to, to try to mitigate all any, any and every voting law, get more people registered, get more people out money, more money is going to be flowing. Um, you know, Democratic donors are more plugged into this. They're going to fund these groups that do the voter edge and the voter turnout. So you're going to have a very concerted, organized effort. Um, and some of this messaging around people trying to take away your right to vote can be motivating uh, in certain instances. You know, I think in 2012, which was, you know, where there was a whole round of, of voter ID laws, you know, that definitely 
had an impact on boosting particularly African-American turnout uh, in the 2012 election because of those narratives and messages. So I, I think it's definitely a potentiality. I think, you know, it's it, it, work has to be done. You know, we live in a time where the news cycle is so vast and fast that there's always another thing on people's mind. And it's hard to keep any one thing on anyone's mind uh, or keep their mind focused or, or even define, you know, what elections need to be about. So I've heard a number of different theories of the case of like how Democrats can win in 22. Um, and so I'm going to be personally excited to, to see what, how it unfolds and, and what, what, what we end up doing, you know, collectively, like what, what ends up being the dominant narrative that we think, you know, can power us to victory. Well, I was encouraged by New Mexico. Monroe, uh, I know you follow this one as well. It was a special election to fill a vacancy in a Democratic district. Yes, yes, it was a Democratic district. Right, exactly. Yes, yes. You know, the old incumbent was a Democrat. But Monroe, uh, there was all this talk. Yeah. That cr- the crime issue would work well for the Republicans. Right. Uh, and people were watching the margin of victory. And the... Uh, the Democratic candidate defeated uh, her Republican opponent by a greater margin than Biden defeated Trump in that district. So I'm looking for any kind of good signs. Okay, now, th- this is the thing that I, I, I think we we should factor in is that so far now this may change next week. But so far, Biden has been doing such a phenomenal job at producing the goods that, uh, you know, with th- this whole covid situation with the vaccinations. It's just a, a game changer in and of itself. Um, it's going to impact the um, economy. And so if, Bi- if Biden just keeps on being a professional and a competent president and producing things, um, again, the Republicans don't have anything to run against right now. I mean, this is why they're, they're trying to create all these different um, straw men to, 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 to knock down. No, there's the you couldn't read the um, the nursery rhymes and, 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 and cancel culture they keep playing around with while they're doing most of the canceling. So you know, so we'll see. But I, I, I'm very I, I, I'm very optimistic right now. Jason, to Monroe's point, how was Joe Biden playing in Texas? Um, he's definitely not playing like Obama. <laughs> um, he's not, he's definitely not the, when Obama was in office, he was like, you know, basically what like, um, New York and California were to Trump. That's what Texas was to Obama. And every statewide politician was kind of like, make their name is like anti Obama. Right. So if you're the attorney general, you're like suing Obama. And if you're the governor, you're defying Obama they don't use him in that way. They, they mostly just ignore him and just focus on the radical uh, socialist democratic party. Um, and they don't really use him as the signal is the, as the symbol of anything, you know, right. and, and Biden has made a few statements to intervene and comment on the Texas stuff. And, you know, Abbott was kind of like, 
you know, well, I don't appreciate that, sir. You know, it was like, you know, he's like asking for decorum after supporting Trump for four years. It was kind of, funny. <laughs> you know, because Biden called him a Neanderthal and he said, sir, I don't think that that, that board has any space in politics. Right. You know, so, <laughs> you know they're, they're not really trying to, to, to engage with him other than like, you know, and even when he came out against the voting law, they didn't really attack them. They just were like, sir, you've been misinformed by, by these radical Democrats or whatever. So he's right. not going to be the galvanizing right. person for them. It's going to be these issues that represent a radical insane democratic party. That's how they're going to try to get around it. Right. No, from coast to coast, those, the street vendors who, who had all the anti Obama stuff and the anti Hillary stuff, found that they couldn't sell the anti-Biden stuff. Nobody was interested in it. You know, the, the, the T-shirts and the caps and the slogans or whatever. Uh, Biden is white enough, old enough, and boring enough where he doesn't excite uh, the, the, the people who, who need to be excited. Yeah. In a, a, hating, a hate, hating sort of way. You know, he's, he's basically Uncle Joe. Jason, this is a repeat of a conversation that Monroe and I have been having for two years. I was forced to admit what really was painful and difficult for me to admit, Jason, that Monroe yeah. was right and I was wrong about Joe Biden uh, and his electability. And it still kind of stings when I have to make that admission. <laughs> <laughs> and Monroe loves throwing it up to me. All right, what and, to do about Joe? Sixties in, in approval ratings, while Trump is in his thirties. Uh, yeah, he's in his thirties right now. But yeah. that thirty, yeah, that thirty is a diehard thirty. And if they, yeah, I know, I know. If, and, but, and if they gerrymandered, I, I, I saw a slightly higher number, but it may have been something else uh, for Trump. For Trump. Yeah, I saw, I saw a Gallup where he was at 45, but maybe that's... Good God. You're kidding. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's why you have to put, point... <laughs> the guy who puts his pants on backwards at 45. What a country. All right. Jason Monroe, what do the Democrats do about Joe Manchin? And we have a whole show about this. David Ferris is coming on. Uh, political scientist, professor, is just so fed up with Joe Manchin. So Joe Manchin uh, essentially said, and you know this, Jason, uh, that he couldn't go along with the voting rights bill because it wasn't uh, bipartisan enough, which, to my opinion, is such a joke. But the whole reason Republicans are opposing it is because voter suppression laws are the only way they can have a really strong chance of taking back the Senate and the House. So there's not going to be uh, a bipartisan in this. So what should Democrats do about Joe Manchin? Uh, and Senator Sinema as well in Arizona to try to bring them back to the fold. So I have a lot of points on this, but so if you're just, if I just answer your question, what should they do? Right. So if their goal is to move cinema and mansion, it's really, really tough. Right. Because if you, if you try to play hardball with them, I mean, the thing is, you could try to call Joe's bluff. I mean, there, there's a simple thing where there's a bunch of crap going on, and the truth of the matter is, in the final instance, Joe might do something based on a personal request from the president. Like, it could be a thing where, because that, that's what happened on the COVID relief, where it was all this stuff, and then in the final instance, he did what the president asked him to do, right? And so we, there's some chance that we're in that same boat, 
at least on the infrastructure package, right? If we don't get a bipartisan deal, I think voting rights is different because frankly, like there are more senators than Joe Manchin that have a problem with HR one and Joe Manchin is just in cinema are just kind of standing in for other people. So I don't actually think they're going to get that much pressure on HR one to be perfectly honest with you. I think the John Lewis voting rights act is a different thing. And I think Schumer is going to do what you have to do, which is initiate the process. The problem is Pelosi doesn't, Pelosi doesn't want to move HR four, so which is the John Lewis Act. So I don't know how they're going to come to terms on that. But I think the way you play the John Lewis Act is you is you introduce it and you put Joe Manchin on a on a committee and say, give us find some Republican votes for this thing. And when he can't find the Republican votes, then maybe he'll have to 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 to, to admit that his dreams of bipartisanship do no lack of effort are not realized, and he has to pay, make a choice. Uh, for the future of the democracy. So I, those would be the kind of tactics. I think you have to give him a kind of a wide berth and a long leash right now, because if you play too hard, he pulls a, a, a reverse specter and you're dead, right? Like he, he, can, he can kill your whole thing. So, and also like he's in a state where you're not primarying him. You're not doing anything. You know, he's the only guy you would ever get, you know, um, in 22, you know, the problem is the house, Right. I think that Democrats have a chance of actually expanding the Senate and getting and making it so that Manchin isn't the 50th vote. But the problem is then you end up losing the House because you because straight up through redistricting alone, you could lose the House, right? Because you're only got five seats. So that's the problem is that there's a way to get around the Manchin problem in 22, but then you open up another can of firms when you don't have the House anymore and they kill everything. So you need to get everything you can get done now before the midterms. And you've got to just give Manchin as much birth as he can to pursue these bipartisan deals and hope that when he realizes that he can't, and then the president of the United States calls him and says, Joe, I've got to have you on this, or I'm going to be a failed president. He will ultimately say, you know, Joe, I, I can't let you go down like that. I'll, I'll, I'll go with you. The other thing the Democrats could do is have Manchin um, give them a bill that he wants passed, what he he wants in the bill, because he hasn't he hasn't said that you know he he's using um, uh, the the whole bipartisan concept, but he he's not been able to articulate um, that many things that he doesn't like, and so they, they can ask him, okay, what 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 could we give you that you would vote for? Yeah. And, and that's a good point. Like, I think on the voting rights stuff, he, he has basically said that something like the John Lewis Voting Rights Act might be, you know, would be something he'd be willing to support. He, yeah, he hasn't explicitly said what he doesn't like about H.R. 1, but, you know, we can imagine some of the stuff in there that you might not like um, uh, because it is far more expansive and has some things that are kind of are outside the scope of what's really going on right now. Um, you know, like campaign finance reform, for example. Um, so, so, but, but yeah, I, one thing I wonder is like, ha, has, has Joe Biden gone to mansion and said, look, we can go old school and we can light West Virginia up with gold. You know, we can put billions right. in <laughs> West Virginia in exchange yeah. for your vote, you know, like just, just straight up, like you will be, a God in West Virginia, because, you know, there'll be a chicken in every pot when we're done. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like, I don't know. 
Joe Manchin's the type of guy that responds to that, or he feels he's above that kind of quid pro quo. But I'd love to know if, if, if something like that, because, you know, we all watched the movie Lincoln and I just love that part of the movie where they're like, they, they tell those guys like, just go get the votes. Yeah. Just go get them. And, and, and they went and got them. Yeah, no, that's so beautiful. The Lincoln it had nothing to do with freeing slaves. It had nothing to do with eradicating slavery. It was all about give me something that I can take back to my people. Jason Lee is from Texas, but he sounds like he's been growing up in Chicago, Monroe. Now, now, Texas, now, now Texas makes Chicago look junior league. They tailor make their stuff. That is so true, man. Because I always say. LBJ was like that. And he's right, exactly. exactly. Well, that, that's a, you stole my, my point, Jason, because uh, when I, I always defend Daly, which is so funny, me, Richard J. Daly, go, well, Richard J. Daly stole the election uh, f- from Nixon to elect Kennedy. And I always go, no, actually, the theft that occurred was in Texas. LBJ literally stole it from uh, And that's where if you really want to take the deep dive, uh, there's much been written about the, the, the theft of Texas in the 1960 president. So maybe I'm wrong. By the way, they are the specter that uh, Jason alluded to is Arlen specter. Uh, the former Republican Senator from uh, Pennsylvania who at some point just said, I've had enough with Republicans and switched to the democratic party. And so what Jason was suggesting is that if you push uh, Joe Manchin uh, too far, he'll just say, well, the hell with you and go Republican. And that's always a danger. So uh, yeah, maybe Biden's wise. Uh, to stand back. All right. Uh, Let let me say one quick thing then. Um, With Manchin, uh, while he doesn't want the filibuster to disappear, he can be convinced for it to be altered, to be reformed. Um, Right now, the Republicans can filibuster and go home. Just just, just say, okay, well, we're filibustering. Whereas if, if it went back to the good old days where you actually have had to discuss the bills and be there, uh, and uh, that that can have a dynamic change in and of itself. Absolutely, this baby filibuster stuff. I just like I'm like an old school guy watching a basketball game ah, back in the '80s. That wasn't a foul, and uh, so I like the old school filibuster. We actually had to stand there in the in the Senate chambers. Go ahead, Jason. You got something besides green eggs and ham. Yes, right, exactly. So the only thing I wanted to add is my theory is that Joe Biden, the the reason why, because there's all these criticisms about, like, why is Joe Biden even interested and care about, you know, bipartisanship? Why does he have any tolerance for it? And my thinking is that the reason why he cares about it is because he's scarred from what happened in the Obama administration. And I think what his biggest fear is that there are certain things you can do where the, the benefit is so obvious that it can stand up to any kind of critique. And, and in fact, it can neutralize the critique. So when he did the stimulus or the COVID response, people got checks, right? And you don't need to explain that. That's, that's easy and everyone gets it. Right. Problem is when you do some other kind of legislation where the impact is not immediate, it's not obvious, right? Like the Affordable Care Act where it was delayed or even the, the, the Obama stimulus where like, yeah, money was flowing, but it wasn't clear how it was doing to me as the individual. When you do it on straight party lines, the level of vilification that the Republicans do on it could actually destroy the public opinion on the bill and hurt you in the election. Right. And I think what he's worried about is like, if I do this infrastructure bill completely on party lines 
the money won't really start flowing. It's not like immediately you start seeing bridges. Stuff takes time. And all during that period of time, the Republicans were saying, see, we told you nothing's happening. They spent a trillion dollars. We didn't vote for this crap. And then by the time you get to the general election, the under infrastructure projects underwater and you're losing elections. And then by the time it actually starts to benefit, it's too late. You've lost, right? By the time Affordable Care Act became popular because the benefits started flowing, we'd already lost everything, right? And so I think what Biden's saying is, let me pick off a couple of these suckers to neutralize that, to buy myself some time because otherwise they're just going to kill us uh, on the messaging side and I might not have anything to show for it, you know, before. Yeah. The other problem is Obama didn't put his name on it. It was, it, it was with the with the with the, uh, the 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 roads and the bridges, the the, the shovel ready stuff that he talked about. Yeah. I, 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 during that time, I drove to, to the West Coast to see my sons. I drove to the East Coast to see my wife's family, and you had all this construction going on. And you didn't see his name anyway. So the Republican senators were taking credit right. for that, where it would have been the Obama stimulus plan. And this this road is being repaved thanks to the Obama stimulus plan. Right. That made a difference. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great point. I, yeah, and I think all that stuff factors in, and I just think that Biden is ner- is concerned that you could do something that's good and still get vilified. And by the time people realize it's good, you've lost the Senate and the house. Yeah. 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 All right. Yeah, uh, Jason, we're, uh, we're going to drag you close by dragging you into our uh, earlier debate that Monroe and I had about Kamala Harris and her comments. Don't come here. Uh, yeah. Monroe was playing more of the centrist role that he plays from time to time on the show. And I was uh, the rabid lefty that I am. Uh, on this particular uh, matter. Yeah. And uh, so. Break, tiebreaker. Just- yeah, you're the tiebreaker. <laughs> <laughs> you're the tiebreaker on this one. Uh, so first, what are your general thoughts about her comment? And then also, how do you think it's playing in Texas? That's really what I want to hear from you. Oh, and then, you know what? I'm so fair. I'm going to let Monroe have the final word in this, Jason, because I'm just such a nice guy. So go ahead. Well, you might want to take the final word because unfortunately I think I'm gonna to have to side with Monroe on this one. Um, I, I, I just, you know, I'm not sure exactly. Like, I feel like I'm, I guess I might be okay with the criticism from the standpoint that the people doing the criticism have to criticize something. And that's their kind of their role in American politics. Like AOC has to criticize Democrat. Like she can't, you know, so it's like, that's fine. But I, I know, I mean, if I sat AOC down, I mean, I, I think she might even admit like, well, yeah, there, I mean, of course there was no option of, but to say what she said. I mean, like you <laughs> right now, like we've got no answer for what's happening there on, on the border. Um, it's not been a good um, optic at all on any front, right? Because even from a human rights dimension, it's been a disaster from a political issue. It's been a disaster. And right when Biden should have been having, you know, a victory lap on the stimulus, the border stuff ended up actually eating up a lot of the, the media that he was supposed to get on the COVID recovery. So he's already, their administration already knows that this is like, a, a, this is not something to play with, right? Trump was empowered by stuff like this. So I don't think like you can afford politically to like pretend like this is not a big issue, even though like in the grand scale, it may not be, but like politically it, it is proven to be. So, um, you know, I, I think that as a representative of the administration, you know, she had to, if she had gone there and not been explicitly clear on that point, um, I, I think there would have been a lot more pain uh, for her. 
uh, and the administration on it. Um, again, like her saying don't come has no legal bearing. Like, it's not like they can still come, they can still do whatever they want. The people will do whatever they want, you know? Um, but, but I thought from an ethical, so that's the politics, but I also thought from an ethical standpoint, I respected it because at the end of the day, the American people and the American politics is not, not at a place where there's going to be interest in a broad kind of policy of letting, of letting people in our, our, our amnesty program is very slow. Uh, it's, it's case by case. We don't process thousands of cases at a time. It's extremely difficult. We've got millions of people from around the world desperate to be get asylum or be refugee status in the United States. So if you've got tens of thousands of people coming through the Southern border, what's going to happen in practice, right? Regardless of the morality of it, but the practical implications are they're going to be exploited they're going to suffer all kinds of hardship on this journey. And then when they get there, they will not be getting in the United States in any kind of timely fashion and could be subject to more exploitation. And so from an ethical standpoint, if that's where we are today, the advice you're giving someone today is don't come. Now, the advice could change tomorrow. If the politics shift, if we can get America in a different headspace about how we treat these folks, that's not really a Kamala Harris issue. That's more of an American issue and how we think about this. And I just don't think the American people have been convinced yet that there should be a massively different way of thinking about these folks who, who, who want to come to America. And maybe there should be, I just don't think we've gotten there yet. And I don't know who's going to get us there. Hmm. And the, and the impact on Texas, uh, you know, Texas, they don't really care what she's saying is it, it's catnip down here. Like if you're the governor or the tenant or anybody like railing on the border is great, you know, so whatever she's doing is irrelevant. You know, you're still just going to keep railing on it as long as you think there's a problem down there, obviously like they couldn't hit her on the don't come because that was what they would have said. So they were thinking <laughs> on that, but they, so now they're just kind of like, well, that's fine, but you still need to visit the border. You know, you, you got to at least visit and see for yourself the tragedy. Right. And, and what's sick about it. Um, but clever to be frank is that it's a really good issue for the Republicans because they actually can do it in a way that doesn't necessarily like just speak to cruelness because part of what the Republicans are saying is like, look, this is a disaster. It's also, it's a human rights disaster. Look how we're treating these people. Look at the conditions. Look at the, look the coyote, the coyotes who are exploiting these people. So they're almost trying to say, you know, yes, it's about border security, but it's also about, it's also about, uh, you know, more morality and, and, and justice and, and, and the Democrats don't care about either one. And so they're having a field day with it. And, you know, Kamala Harris could, could, could do anything and they would be irrelevant. They're going to ride this issue until the wheels fall off. Uh, I agree with you on that point. All right. Monroe's got this huge smile on his face. Like, yeah, it's exactly what I was trying to tell you, man. Exactly. No, I was about to say, Jason made my point much more eloquently. <laughs> oh, Lord, Lord, Lord. All right. Well, I'll, uh, again, I'm polite. I stand by what I said. at the. I mean, I will make this concession from a political standpoint. And this is the same concession that Democrats make all the time that when, when I speak, I'm generally speaking in terms of a lefty, two other lefties. And I must make the concession that Monroe was always trying to force me to make Jason, that the world's a lot bigger than my little podcast and that there's a lot of people who don't see the world the way I do. I'm actually so extreme that I believe in, I'm like, I say this to probably, I, I believe in open borders. If capital can flow across a border, why can't labor flow across the borders? I throw that out there as a, uh, a thought, uh, but I'm an extremist. I realize, I admit that I'm, I would never get elected to anything. It would 
if I did, whatever what I would say would be used against my party and they would want nothing to do with me. Labor so, does flow across. That's the thing is you can't, labor flows across. Uh, the migrants come here yes. in season and, and if they didn't, uh, we would be starving. I mean, we wouldn't have any 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 lettuce and tomatoes on the okay. table. Ben, do you do you find because the the politics of immigration has shifted right over the last thirty years? Right, it used to be you know Reagan was like, yeah, let everyone in. That's cheap labor for us, and let the capital and let the labor, and we'll do it. And and people like Bernie Sanders, like, hold on a second, like that's undercutting wages for American workers. Like, we got to be a lot more restrictive on that. And then it, it was mostly an economic. Uh, you know, kind of issue. And then it became more of a, a, a cultural social justice issue, even ethnic, just racial justice, where it was like brown people or, you know, we need, and that made it a, a clear progressive issue along with all the activism that, that, that did that. And so I mean, you've, you lived out so you, you lived that whole thing. I mean, what do you think about the kind of shifting of that issue that kind of reverse polarities? Uh, that is, you're absolutely correct with, with what you just said. Uh, and there are narratives that shape these things, right-wing narratives and lefty narratives. Uh, I, when I, I have lived through that. Uh, and my response to that is very practical one. And I think, and I'm turns it out and I'll explain it in terms of Chicago, very specifically Chicago's strength to a certain degree over my lifetime in Chicago, which is now 40 years is because we've had a healthy influx of people from south of the border. So I believe just in my neighborhood, in my community, in my city, we are stronger because of that. This is the most practical. And now when you close the border, I see how my city is losing people. And my city uh, is losing the energies that come from having new immigrants. So I just think of just removing the narratives that shape this conversation, as you pointed out. Yes, those narratives have drastically changed in my lifetime. Uh, I just view as a pragmatic, practical way the contribution that immigrants have made to the city and our city is hurt by it. And frankly, Jason and Monroe, I don't see us figuring out what to do in Chicago about that loss of population, the loss of labor. And... Um, so that's that's my response in a very pragmatic, practical way. In a political terms, I have to say you're absolutely correct. But in the same way, Jason, politically speaking, in the 90s, Joe Biden was, quote unquote, correct to support the crime bill. Politically speaking, that's where we were in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And Monroe and I are old enough to remember how black politicians talked in the nineties. And it was a much different way of looking at the world. Monroe knows what I'm saying. Cause he worked for Eugene Sawyer and the notion that if Eugene Sawyer talked about cutting cops in, he would have been clobbered right Monroe at the polls oh, and yeah. the world has changed so drastically. So I'm just, I have that just general aversion now to re- Democrats uh, trying to out Republican Republicans. That's where I come from. It. Yeah. It's just, for me, it's tough because that that's why I'm not someone who likes to do the kind of post facto vilification game because like, like we, we, we talk about politics, like, well, yeah, because, but politics is democracy, right? Like politics is like people felt a way and they voted that way and they, you know, expressed themselves that way. And, and politicians who they elected to represent them 
acted in accordance with, with, with what the will was. Now, the will can be wrong. Like, democracy can get things wrong, and a healthy, functioning democracy kind of learns the lesson, you know, unreef, you know, frames its understanding and tries to get it right. But we on the Democratic Party right now are saying, like, our democracy is at, at risk, right? That, like, people need to be, have a chance to participate in the process. Well, sometimes part of that is we get it wrong, and, and we just got to get it right later. So, like, I think sometimes that's just the process we have to go through on issues. And the people who have always been right and willing to stand up against that tide, like those people are important too, but it's not clear that like, that like they should necessarily win, even if they're right, if it goes against the democratic will um, in, in, in the process, you know what I mean? Because then when do we decide when the person's right, who's in the minority or when they're wrong? Right. I mean, we have a democratic system for a reason. So, you know, yes, yeah, sometimes it's, it's going to turn out in a way we're like, damn, that sucks. <laughs> you know, it sucks that everybody was so afraid of crime that we did some laws that, that had a negative impact on, on mass incarceration. But I think people have learned a lot since then, and we're doing some things differently. So I'm heartened by that. And I know like 30 years from now, you know, my kids will look at something that I was like, yes, you know, and it'd be like, that was terrible. But like, you know, we learn stuff, you know, and that's no. gotta be part of the democratic process as well. Yeah, that's uh, well put. I'm probably at a good spot to uh, end today's show as any, uh, and I'll withhold the potential uh, me telling, talking about how so many millennials have told me I'm wrong on so many issues, which I think is such a fundamental, basic one-on-ones of politics uh, in America today, uh, Jason and Monroe, one of which is the defund the police slogan, uh, an ongoing struggle. Um, I want to thank the great, the legendary Monroe Anderson. Uh, for stopping by a dear friend of mine, a dear friend of the show and Jason Lee political strategist uh, did a great job explaining Texas, the inexplicable of Texas uh, to the masses. <laughs> so get, you down, uh, get, get some barbecue sometime soon. Ben. Come on now. Uh, I'll take a field trip. We'll do the show in Texas. How about that? The, have you, have you got your shots, Jason? Yeah. Yeah. I know. Okay. Uh, By the way, am I the only one who's, Concern. Are you a basketball fan, Jason? I don't know this. Are you a fan? Okay. So I've been obsessively watching basketball for the last three weeks. And last night I'm watching the game. Where was that? Utah. Place is absolutely packed. Cheek to cheek, people are in that stadium. Monroe, if there's if one out of ten people have masks, that's a high estimation. And I know all those Utahians or whatever they're called are not vaccinated. Jason Lee, I am worried. I say this, maybe I'm just an old baby boomer, but I am worried that this virus will come back because it just seems like people are like, oh, yeah, it's over. I'm just going to party like a rock star. Yeah, no, I think the concern is valid, but I also feel like the problem is if you don't do stuff like that, you like it's a chicken and egg because because we've got to incentivize the people to get vaccinated. And if everybody who's vaccinated is still wearing masks and social distancing, then no one who's not vaccinated will get back. You know, they'll be like, screw it. There's no benefit. You know, so people are trying to show, hey, there's a benefit. Look what we're doing. If you can can join, you know, and I get that because I think that I've heard from people who are like, shit, I want to do stuff. That's why I got vaccinated. I don't want to get vaccinated. I don't believe in it, but I want to do stuff. And I got vaccinated. Yeah. Right now, my, my, my wife is upset because I go to the grocery stores without a mask now. (laughs) <laughs> but you know, I told her, I said, my point is that because I'm walking around without a mask, it tells people you get your vaccination, you too could join McGraw walking around in the grocery store without a mask. And I keep the mask on. What's the point? 
Well, yeah. I got it. Well, I got it. All right. That sounds good enough, but I'll tell you this. The mailman was wearing his mask. Did you ask him if he'd been vaccinated or not? No, I didn't. Okay. That's conservative. But, you know, yeah, maybe, maybe he's not vaccinated. I don't know. But he was wearing his mask. Uh, D. Wade, uh, Dwayne Wade was at the game last yeah. night. He was wearing his mask. That was a great game, by the way. So. Oh, my goodness. Great, great game. It came down to uh, non-sports fans. It came down to one last shot. And Gobert, Utah, blocked that shot at the buzzer. Uh, and Utah won game one. I think that's going seven. I get a prediction from you, Jason. Is that series going seven? Clippers, yeah, Utah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now watch, I'm going to turn to Monroe, really hasn't followed basketball at all, and go, Monroe, prediction. Is that series going seven? <laughs> Is it the 1990s in the Bulls? <laughs> okay, yeah, he's not playing attention. <laughs> All right, Monroe Anderson. Thank you for your glory days of the nineties Bulls. I'll tell you what, LA Clippers have the guy who's probably most reminds you of Jordan, which is Kawhi Leonard. He's probably the most in terms of the way they play, mid range, post, you all that. Yeah, Kawhi Leonard is the closest thing I've seen to Jordan. And and the the fact that he was relatively quiet yesterday, uh, that's and they still came that close. I think that that's why I say uh, Utah shouldn't get that cocky from having won just one game. So uh, yeah. uh, anyway, uh, I want to thank Monroe Anderson and Jason Lee uh, for uh, coming by and talking politics on a little bit of basketball. Hey, how about that? I got to talk some basketball. Yes, sir. Uh, thank you, gentlemen. And uh, also want to thank Dr. D, uh, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. And as Jason uh, and Monroe can tell you, back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D. Take care, everybody. See you tomorrow. Thanks. Thanks.